The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to 1874, The Athletic's podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. This should be an interesting one, obviously a disappointing weekend, so much to chew over and to do just that it's a pleasure to say hello to Global Greg Evans and our new permanent third podcaster who needs a clever nickname, Holly Percival, although I say clever, it's not like Global Greg Evans is the cleverest nickname in the world. Good morning guys. Uh, Or accurate, yeah, good morning Dan. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Hello Holly. Morning, yeah, great to have... Holly on board, a new fresh voice to join those tired old voices of Greg and myself. Let's get straight into it then. At 4.45, everything was good with the world. I was sat in my seat in the whole end thinking, a few years ago, Wolves were streets ahead of Villa and now we're here, 2-0 up, we're living the dream. McGinn's absolutely running the show, we're comfortable. And then within 10 minutes, the world just fell apart. Villa suddenly became the most mentally and physically weak side in the world, couldn't defend set pieces and somehow threw the game away and lost 3-2, Greg. You were there as well. I've seen some collapses in my time, but I don't think I've ever seen a collapse in such a short space of time in a game where Villa looked so comfortable. Neither have I. It was incredible, really, You know, to, to concede three goals in 10 minutes. I don't think we'll probably ever see such a scenario unfold at Villa Park ever again. It, it, you know, it really was that much of a freak comeback. Um, yeah, there were lots of mistakes from Villa in there. I watched the last 15 minutes back, I think three or four times, just to try and process what had happened because it was actually really difficult to to analyse because, um, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the game because it didn't feel like the game was falling away from Villa. It didn't feel like Wolves had that in them. So I wanted to watch back and it was just, there was just a catalogue of errors. I mean, the story that I wrote sort of went into a bit more detail about what, you know, what went wrong and, and um, where Villa need to improve in the future. Um, they just couldn't get rid of the ball. It was just as simple as that, really. All they needed to do was go back to basics, get rid of the ball um, and tighten it up. No team should ever be 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go and lose. Um especially in the Premier League. Yeah, Holly, it was the, the worst collection of goals I think you'll you'll ever see. It just it just came from nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, it was very frustrating and I have a really embarrassing story about the game. I thought it was Villa's goal that won it and celebrated in the office because I was misunderstanding Tim Sherwood's commentary on Soccer Saturday and got some funny looks from people in the office when I celebrated Wolves uh, winning goals. So I wasn't thrilled to then find out that it went against us and have seen the replays and the deflections and it, it's just poor from Villa. Normally defensively they can hold out a win or a draw um, depending on who the opposition is and Villa looked tired for the last 10 minutes and yes there was errors but I don't think I've ever seen Villa look so tired last season or this season so it was definitely a surprise to see the result end up so poorly um, against Villa so not the best day in the office. No, not a great indictment of Tim Sherwood's commentary either if you're confused with who scored the winner. Greg, I've talked about mental weakness in in the intro there. Do those three goals show like a lack of physicality, a lack of a physical weakness in Villa? Because to concede three from set pieces, it's not a good look. I mean, look, there's no nice way to dress it up. You know, it was a, it was as I say, a catalogue of errors. Um, and at time in times like those, you need your real leaders and senior players. To pull the team together, um, I, I just thought Villa looked a little bit shell shocked. You know, I interviewed 
Ruben Nevers after the game and I wanted to find out from his point of view what he thought about the Villa players in those final 10 minutes and you know he, he kind of hinted that he, he, he could see them their body language told the, told the Wolves players that they were crumbling um, and, and Wolves felt that they had the momentum Wolves felt that they had uh, the fresher substitutes you know Daniel Pudence came on and made a big difference I think you know as we all know Um and Villa's substitutes didn't really make an impact. I just think it's hard to know now because we've such a with so many fans inside the stadium. It's hard to hear what the the players are saying. You know, obviously it was different during the lockdown period. You could hear exactly what they were saying and you could analyse it a little bit more. But it just felt like you needed somebody to to just grab that game by the scruff of the neck and say. Look, you know, we've conceded one now. Even when we conceded two, just shut up shop now and get rid of that bloody ball and do not concede again because um, you you could almost feel it coming then in in stoppage time because there was just so many things that were going wrong. I mean, Holly, I've never been more certain of anything in my life that 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 free kick at the end was going to end up in the back of the net after the the way the game unfolded. Albeit Villa a little bit unlucky because it it is a big deflection, but of course John McGinn scored a deflection earlier on in the the game as well. Twan Zabi started uh, over Courtney Hawes. I don't know whether that was a a surprise to people or not. I suppose a home game playing on the front foot, you'd think Twan Zabi's better on the ball, but maybe if Courtney Hawes had been on the pitch... You know, set pieces, he tends to deal with those kind of things. Yeah, it's hard to know for definite why Dean Smith is kind of rotating between the two so regularly. Maybe he's not sure on who his third centre-back is yet and hence the change between the previous games. So I think Tuan Zebi wasn't the worst decision. Um, he has played well um, and is continuing to find his feet. But yeah, Horse might have been the better option in terms of set pieces and defending and maybe just bringing him on as a substitute as well would have provided fresh legs and a fresh mindset when Villa started kind of losing control of the game for the last 10 minutes. So I think Smith needs to kind of, if he's sticking with that formation, he needs to figure out who he wants as that third centre-back because constantly changing it probably isn't going to be helping for kind of fluidity between the defenders and, and the communication. So for me, like a decision has to be made quicker. Yeah, I, I felt like Axel, he had a bit of an off game, Greg. Yeah, I agree. Gave the ball away quite a few t- times. He, he looked nervy and, and, and he looked shaky. Do you, do you know the reason for that change? Was it what I said, just that we were playing a bit more on the front foot at home and he's better on the ball? Yeah, I think he's slightly better on the ball. I think, you know, Konza and Mings are the two more composed defenders, certainly. And then you've got, obviously, Hawes and, and Twanzebi who are a little bit behind them in terms of uh, playing out from the back. I think... Twanzebi would probably be ahead of Hawes in the pecking order anyway. And obviously, you know, there was a lot of convincing that needed to be done to get Twanzebi to the club. Um, you know, he was told he was going to be playing quite regularly. So I presume the manager's got to pretty much stick to that. And I felt a little bit sorry for Courtney because, you know, he had a great game at Man United, um, scored the goal, and then you almost felt like, it, it, does he is, he is he just entitled to it? Can he just have one bad game and then he's out? Then is he always going to be that full guy mm. that never sort of gets to keep his place, even when he's just average? Um, and then Twanzebi came in and did no better for me. There, there was a there was a, a free kick in the first half that I think he just gave away to Huang uh, or possibly another Wolves player, and Wolves nearly scored from it. Um, there, there were a couple of other instances when he just missed simple passes, and then there was a time in in stoppage time where the ball was on the halfway line, the ball literally came to him and he just kicked it into touch, trying to find a, a teammate. 
And there were just a few instances like that, and he did, just didn't quite look himself. Um, the difficulty for these players, you know, Hawes and Twanzebi, is that they need some sort of rhythm. They need to be playing week in, week out to um, to get that confidence and just be that step ahead of the strikers. Just feel, and, and look, you know, we said we won't talk too much about formations um, this week because we've, we've gone into heavy detail in recent weeks. But I think Dean Smith might be looking at going back to a four now because... Villa were so good with the four last season. Willie Baxel has got some form of agreement where he has to play. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to play three at the back, I would say, because he's not gonna drop Concert and Mings. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks. Let's hear from Tyrone Mings now. Let's hear what he had to say post match. It's not really a tough one to take. We threw it away, um, so they didn't have to do too much for their goals, which is probably why it's so disappointing. It's a game that we were controlling, a game that we were in control of, and the manner of the goals probably hurts the most. We have been good at defending set pieces, second phase set pieces all season. But today we weren't, and set pieces are a huge part of the game. Um, we know how important they have been for our season so far in terms of picking up points. And today we dropped points from, from set pieces. So like I said, the manner of the goals probably hurt the most. We have to um, learn from the position that we were in. We were in, like I said, we were controlling the game. We were tuning up with what 15 minutes to go or something. So to throw it away was almost amateurish. I think they're a great set of lads in there, honest set of lads, and we have to learn very quickly because, like I said, set pieces are so important in the game that we're playing today. When you're at the top level and. and Games are tight. Um, we can't concede goals in the way that we did, but like I said, we've got such a great group of lads in there. We've got such an honest group of lads that want to learn and want to get better all the time that it will hurt, and it does hurt. It hurts everybody in there at the moment. Obviously, we know what these sort of games mean to the fans as well. So, yeah, we know that it will be hurting them just as much as it hurts us. Tara Ming sounding very much like how I felt coming out of the ground. Now, Greg, I know you're absolutely dying to be a smart ass about set pieces, so I'm going to give you the floor. Off you go. No, I'm not because I, I do I do want Villa to succeed and I want Villa to keep out corners and free kicks and, and I want them to score from corners and free kicks. But um, yeah, the point I made a couple of podcasts ago, which which was picked up by a lot of supporters on Twitter, um, was that look, you need to judge Villa over the course of the season. Um, Purely because you know, if, if if a bad run starts, then you, you start. It's just too early for me to to, to 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 highlight things like that anyway. And look, Austin McPhee's done a decent job in terms of Villa with their attacking intent. Scored a couple of goals from from corners, haven't they? And and um, one from a long throwing. So that seems to be working. But what you heard with Tyrone Ming's interview back just then was a very raw and emotional captain you know they're put in front of the cameras so quickly after the defeat that it does hurt and you know he'd had a little time in the dressing room to speak to the players where I believe there was a little bit of shouting and sort of finger pointing um, before Dean Smith came in and then he was you know put put, put in front of the cameras to, to, to analyse that defeat and as you heard there Villa were not good enough from set pieces defensively and that is down on the coaches and the players you know they need to be organised better um, yeah, 
this season they have defended set pieces well and they have worked on the second phase and they have managed to clear the ball and get rid of danger but this, those games those goals against Wolves were comical there was about three or four opportunities to get rid of the ball on each occasion and they just couldn't so that's something that they need to be working on yeah, Holly, I kind of feel like the, the subs were, were forced upon Villa when Deer and Cash went, went off injured. I don't, I don't really see that Dean Smith had a choice in, in what he does. I saw a lot of fans pointing to substitutions, which is something I don't really get at all myself. I don't really put it down to, to, to the coaching staff, that, that defeat. I'll, I'll put that down purely to the players not doing the basics of football. I think it's easy to blame the substitutions when they haven't really had much of an impact in, in the final minutes that they've been on the pitch. But you could also argue that you know, positioning of some of the substitutions um, on the edge of the box, I think, could have been key in helping clear the ball. Um, Nakamba arguably wasn't on the edge of the box as maybe um, as much as Dean Smith would have liked, but he was in the box trying to help defend. So it's one of those where you could argue one case and then it'd be the other case. And, you know, it's it's a bit of luck of the draw of where the ball lands and, and who gets there first. So for me, it was just, like Greg said, it's just unfortunate goals and... Um, not working hard enough really to clear the ball at the time. I don't think it can be put down to just the substitutions made. Um, and like you said, some were, were forced substitutions because of injuries anyway. So Dean Smith can only do as much as he can with also the, the list of players he has on his bench. And, you know, I wouldn't even want to see a player play out of position to help defend. I, you know, I want them to play in the position that they're confident in because they know what to do in that role. So it's a lot of back and forth between decisions that you could argue and, 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 kind of counter-argue so I think again like Greg said it's just one of those where they're goals that you shouldn't be conceding and Villa can and will be better at. I mean for me it's just about being a bit, little bit more organised and switched on you know in those final moments set, to concede from three set pieces is really poor because it's all about organisation You each man knows if they're drilled correctly each man knows what they've got to do and if one person switches off or if two people switch off, that's when errors occur and give the opposition the advantage. And that's just what happens. You know, look, you cannot blame. I I, I always have sympathy for, for strikers who are defending, for example, because it's their job to go and score the goals. Um, and if a defender, for example, misses a, de- you know, a chance in front of the goal, you often say, well, he's a defender. That's not his job to score. So you, you give him a little bit of sympathy. Danny Ings, you know, was arguably at fault for... The first goal, um, where he kind of let Pedence slip away from him, but you know you can understand these mistakes are made in, in the box when when their attackers playing that game, and unless they're thoroughly drilled like a Tony Pulis team and how to um, stop these attacks, it's going to be difficult. So they just need to be a bit more switched on, and and, and I'm convinced they will learn from those mistakes. Yeah, you'd think it was something that would never, ever happen again under Dean Smith's tutelage. I just thought he was a bit passive all round, Greg. Even the, even the third one, I know it's an unfortunate deflection, but I just thought the way Target's facing the ball, it, it's just just a bit passive. He, he's not there looking, looking to make the block. It's kind of just hit him and gone. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how, how else to explain it, but yeah. you know, even the way he's facing up to the ball, I just think... You know, Villa show, Villa show a bit of guts, a bit of bravery. Make sure you don't don't lose that game. It's kind of just hit him and trickled into the corner. I kind of feel like he could have even faced that up a bit better. Oh, yeah. Just look. look. I, I thought it was an unfortunate goal to concede. It was a horrible goal to concede. You know, the way you just watch the ball trickle into an empty net with Emmy Martinez completely stranded. Um, for, target, for me, has to stay, you know, upright and, and, and facing the free kick. He kind of turns. I think... It looked to me, having watched it back a few times, it looked like he was preoccupied by the 
um, the striker that was next to him. I think he felt that he was trying to watch him rather than the ball and it just created a little bit of a gap and obviously it connected off him and, and went in horribly. But look, it's something they'll have to work on and, and, um, and build on there. Let's end this segment on a positive, Holly. John McGinn was absolutely fantastic for 90 minutes, absolutely ran the midfield. He He's looking really back to his best now, isn't he? Yeah, I was... Um kind of upset on a, like a personal level to see him not play his best against Spurs, um, losing possession of the ball a lot in midfield. So it was really refreshing to see him kind of back at his best and, and playing really well and, and controlling the midfield area, which we always knew was going to be key against uh, Wolves. So I'm hoping that he'll continue to thrive and continue to push on and, and kind of not have his confidence knocked after the defeat. So he's looking great and definitely the key man for Villa at the moment. Bit annoying, Greg, because the week before, like Holly said at Spurs, the midfield was was really off. It pass completion was absolutely nowhere to be seen. It was a really off performance from the midfield. Yeah, this week the midfield's got it right. The strikers have got it right, and the the defense kind of goes to pieces. Villa are a bit disjointed at the moment, aren't they? They they need to click. Yeah, look, you know, it's just just not all coming together at the at the same time, is it? Which and and I'm I'm sure it will at some point. Yeah, to 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 echo Holly's thoughts there, you know, McGinn was fantastic. I was getting really excited during the game, um, you know, tweeting about him being an elite player. I think we mentioned, didn't we, earlier in earlier in the season, Dan, that you know we agree that he he he's a he's a top sort of four or five player now. Um, he, he you know he'd look comfortable in the Champions League. Um, and yeah, I was getting very excited during the game. But the, the balance, the balance in the midfield looked right. Louise was great, um, uh, and it just all seemed to be to be nice in those middle areas. But sooner or later, it'll all come together, I'm sure. Yeah, Greg Evans trying to sell our players to Champions League clubs again. <laughs> when will it ever end? <laughs> if you do want to go back and check Greg's piece after the game, his post-match debrief, then you can sign up to The Athletic at the moment for 33% off if you are a new subscriber. Just head to theathletic.com slash villapod and you'll be able to take advantage of that discount. Greg, have you got any other articles coming up that you can tell us about? Uh, yeah, I've been quite busy this week, so there's a couple of couple more coming towards the end of the week. Um, I had a... a I watched a lot of football over the weekend, so I I ended up watching um, Roma versus Juventus, and uh, very very impressed with Jordan Veratu at the moment. Um, so I wrote a little bit about him. Obviously, didn't work at him for Villa, so it just explains in the article why he is a bit of a late bloomer. Yeah, I read I read that. Enjoyable to go back over memory lane of a season where Villa got about two points or whatever <laughs> it ended up being. Greg, so, th- so thanks. Still for that. too soon. <laughs> yeah, it's still raw. Every, everything's still raw. I'm remembering all I can remember is bad times at the moment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
On to Friday night then, Villa travel to the Emirates. Has been a happy hunting ground in the past, looking to bounce back from that defeat that we've just spoken about. Last week we had Tim Spears on to give a Wolves perspective and he was right on the money. So this week we're going to go over to the luxurious Arsenal department where Art de Russia is manning the desk. Uh, welcome to 1874. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope I live up to Tim's guest appearance last week. Well, hopefully you're not predicting any, any Arsenal wins and that coming true because Villa, off the back <laughs> of two defeats, certainly don't need a third. Arsenal, a little bit fortunate on Monday at the Emirates to claw back a goal and get a 2-2 draw against Crystal Palace. What's the mood like in North London? Yeah, I'd say probably a bit more than a little bit fortunate, to be honest. They started the game fairly well in the first 10 minutes going 1-0 up, but after that, they just stopped pressing, they stopped playing, and Palace just played through them for large amounts of the game. And you see with um, both Palace's goals, they just rob Arsenal blind in midfield and and go and counter and score. And I think um, for... Large spells of the past few months, really. Um, those aspects of Arsenal ga- Arsenal's game have been there, so it wasn't a complete shock. Um, at the game on Monday, it was a feeling of frustration from a lot of people inside the Emirates, especially in the second half, where it just seems like Arsenal couldn't move the ball from back to front. Um, and I think that Lacazette made a real difference when he came on. Um, I think immediately he linked up with Aubameyang and was uh, trying to get get the crowd uh, on their feet and actually feel some energy from them. Um, but yeah, definitely they're going to need to um, have a lot more control if they're going to be happy against Villa on, on Friday. Aaron Ramsdale currently in goal for Arsenal. He's dislodged. Leno and he, he's found himself as the number one but it could be very very different for Arsenal as the best goalkeeper in the world who left Arsenal to join Aston Villa are Arsenal fans ever sour, ever sour about this because I've got to be honest Emi Martinez is one of my favourite players of, of recent times of Villa he's been a sensational signing is, is there any sour grapes from Arsenal fans that he's playing his tried for Villa and not Arsenal I think last season every almost every game um, that Leno didn't play well his name was mentioned um just because of the nature of his departure i'd say um obviously he had to become number one when leno was injured after um the first lockdown and then deserved to stake a, a claim for a number one spot whether that be at arsenal or another premier league club and um i think arsenal fans were quite confused that um that he was the one to be let go out of him and Leno. So um, when he did go to Aston Villa and they saw him play so well as he did, especially at the start of last season, there was a bit of, mm, I'd say, frustration again, (laughs) which is a a theme that's um, been quite common, um, especially in the last, say, 18 months to two years. Um, But with Ramsdale coming in, I feel like there's a let... There's less um, notice uh, on Emi Martinez and the job he's doing at Aston Villa just because they feel like they have a goalkeeper they can trust for 9 out of 10 um, times. And I think um, 
especially with uh, Aaron Ramsdale's distribution. That was one of Martinez's main strong points, I think, when he came into the side um, in in that spell in 2020. And we've seen so far that Ramsdale, I'm not sure, I'm not going to say he's at the same level or or he's better, but he can definitely um, play with his feet a bit better than Bert Leno. He's more comfortable and he, the energy that he transmits as well is very infectious, both in terms of how he um, how how he bounces off the fans, in, especially at away games, um, uh, but also at home games. I think um, they they've taken to Ramsdale really well. So the the discussions around Emmy Martinez, they'll, they'll probably still be there in some sections of the Arsenal. Um, Arsenal fans, especially on Twitter, but um, I think for the most part, people are are fine <laughs> with how the um, goalkeeping department is set up at the minute. Yeah, and Greg Villa obviously liked what they saw from going to Arsenal and trying to pick off players because they went back again 12 months later and tried to get Smith Rowe, obviously ended up signing a new deal. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what happened over the summer with him? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, it, it was a very uh, serious pursuit you know they, they wanted to get Emil Smith Rowe into the club Villa did um, they went about their business uh, in a very organized um, and deliberate and strategic way um, the, 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 they made two official bids for Smith Rowe 20 million and 25 million I don't think they actually ever gave up on him until he until he signed a new deal at, at Arsenal you know in the background they always thought that they would continue um, trying to get him I know that I know that Arsenal were very very frustrated and at, well, angry almost at Villa's approach because it's kind of in football if, if you say no we're not we're not selling a player he's not for sale and then a club come back in for him it's it's a thing you know it, it angers clubs because they've basically said their stance that they're not getting rid of this player um, and look contract negotiations were, were obviously going on in, in the background and, and Smithrow ended up um, signing you know a longer term deal at Arsenal the stance from Arsenal was that they were never ever ever going to let him go or considering to even let him go no matter what money came in for him they wanted to keep him clearly he's a big part of, of Arsenal you know a, a youth product who they like and, and somebody who I, like, I really like watching I think he's an excellent player um, uh, and, and he would have been, made a big difference to Villa uh, you know, especially at the time as uh, you know it was before Jack Grealish had, had moved to Man City they were hoping to team Smith Rowe up with, with Jack Grealish and you know how exciting would that have been obviously never happened in the end but um it's something to uh, something to certainly get excited about if it did. Ah, oh, that would have been something that Arsenal would never ever have, have let happen, would it? They, they couldn't even entertain it because it, it, it almost would have been. I mean, I'm talking about my own club here, and I don't mean it to sound as cutting as it sounds, but it would have almost just been embarrassing for Arsenal to, to lose someone like that to to Villa. Yeah, uh, we went to um, Hibernian for pre-season in Scotland, and. Um, Mikel was actually asked about that at the time. So I think this would have been just before he signed the new contract, actually. And he almost laughed off the the rumours, I guess we'd call them now, um, or the reports um, around uh, Smithrow potentially leaving Arsenal. And I think, um, from my understanding, the kind of opening engagement of conversation around the new contract started before last season even ended. So... It did seem very unlikely that um, Emil Smith-Rowe would leave for Aston Villa this summer. And I feel like him 
being trusted with the number 10 shirt this year just shows how much faith there is in him at Arsenal. Obviously, um, he probably didn't burst straight onto the scene as he would have liked to um, as a young teenager. Uh, he had a few injury issues uh, when he was at Leipzig on loan, but really found his groove at Huddersfield in the championship. And uh, last year, again, was a little bit frustrating because he wasn't straight in the team, uh, but found it, found his place in the team on Boxing Day against Chelsea and didn't come out of the team until the end of the season, really. And he was uh, a vital part to changing Arsenal's season last year because of, he was very unique in the sense that Arsenal didn't have a creative midfielder who could receive on the half turn and just keep the ball moving quickly. Um, that's something that they really lacked without, say, Mesut Ozil at the time, who was unregistered in the Premier League and Europa League. Um, and he brought that. I think he was helped by uh, Martin Odegaard coming in because it gave him a bit more um, free roam, I'd say, in the midfield. But I could definitely see why he was the profile of player Aston Villa were looking at because he is almost very similar to Jack Grealish in that he can play as a number 10, but he can also play off the left. Um, and he's very dangerous off the left. I think a lot of people have, a lot of Arsenal fans have kind of got it into their heads that he should only be a number 10 because he wears number 10. <laughs> but um, I think when he does play off the left, similar to how Jack Grealish was with you guys at Aston Villa, he can drift inside and he can either play a play a, a really nice pass or he can get on the end of a, a move and finish it like he did in the North London derby against Tottenham. Um, that's something, obviously, he's still only 21 years old, so there's still areas he needs to develop in terms of his probably his finishing and his final decision. But um, I do kind of see the logic behind Aston Villa pursuing him. But um, as Greg mentioned before, there was no way Arsenal were going to let him go, especially with him being a, a Hayland graduate and um, destined for, I guess, the first team as Bukayo Saka was, even though they had slightly different pathways to get in there. Yeah, it felt very much like Villa letting Arsenal know that we're there, that we're coming for you. We, we, we want your spot in, in, in the big six. Obviously, I think Arsenal and Spurs are probably the most vulnerable in that big six. So, yeah, as I say, it felt very much like Villa letting Arsenal know that we're there. We've got some money. Watch out. Are you worried about John McGinn? on Friday art because you mentioned Palace's pressing and they, they, they pressed high up they won the ball back off Arsenal Villa have had some joy against against the bigger clubs with, with that tactic this season so far they did, did it very well at Old Trafford and McGinn was a huge part of that he's in the form of his life you know he's the kind of player that could cause Arsenal some problems on Friday night yeah well he caused problems last year at Emirates as well yeah luckily I think his goal was offside wasn't it yeah, about 30 seconds in, wasn't it? it was <laughs> yeah. Very, very early. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd definitely say he'd be the main player that is causing concern um, ahead of Friday night. But I would say if Villa go there and press high, there is the other side of the coin where, say, maybe Ramsdale or Ben White or Gabriel can just flick the ball around the corner and Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard are running at you. Um I, I would hope that is the case, but I'm not 100% sure. There is definitely occasions where you could see problems being caused for Gabriel and White, um, or even Thomas Partey if he is left as the lone um, central midfielder as he was against Palace. And 
again, Mikel Arteta tried that in the Europa League last season and it it exposed Partey. Mm, I thought he looked a bit vulnerable on Monday night. Yeah, when he, I think he's a player that trusts his technical ability a bit too much in those situations. Um, tries to hold on to the ball as long as possible and almost make the Villa players or opposition players bite and then make a pass or dribble. Um, but if you've got John McGinn on your back, um, that's probably going to be very difficult. So uh, I'd say, yeah, John McGinn's probably the one, but if Villa press as a team, as a unit as well, that's going to cause problems for Arsenal. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So a little bit more about the match now then. Holly, Villa have got a decent record at the Emirates, if my memory serves me correctly. They've won the last three games as well. So Dean Smith, well-versed in coming up against Arteta and getting the better of him, despite Villa losing two in a row. This feels, this feels like a good, a good game for us. This feels like the kind of game where we can go and take something, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Arsenal is definitely is one of the f- my favourite fixtures in the calendar, and uh, it was actually my first ever away game for Villa in the 2013-14 season uh, in the opening day, and it's definitely still one of my favourite Villa games I've ever been to. So I definitely I do think it's a game that Villa can kind of take control of and dominate, and I think as long as the main focus is keeping a clean sheet and kind of keeping possession and, and keeping control of the midfield, then I think it's a game that that Villa can definitely win. It, Arsenal just feels like the right kind of opposition off the, off the back of what's happened because we have got a decent record against them and after watching Palace on, on Monday, the way they played against them, it does just feel like playing Arsenal will suit Villa a little bit at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm with Holly. I, I really like 
going to the Emirates, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy that's probably my favourite away game um, of the season. I like going down to London and, and I really like the stadium. Good food in the press box, is it? <laughs> it used to be really good. It's uh, gone a little bit down now. You don't get quite as much, oh, but okay. that's just been a, a greedy old man like me. Um, <laughs> I'll probably tell you more. Um, no, I, look, I, I watched I watched Arsenal against Palace and um, I, I, I really like Palace at the moment. I think they're an exciting team. Um but what I was more concerned about with Arsenal was they kind of played five attacking players. You know, I expected Odegaard to get a little bit further up, and I thought, wow, if they if they play this lineup against Villa, and you know, Ollie Watkins is is really on his pressing form, and John McGinn plays as well as he did in the last game, that could cause Arsenal a few problems. Um, and as and, and as Art mentioned, you know, Palace won the ball back on the halfway line a couple of times and, and went and scored a couple of goals from it. So I think they're they're there for the taking. Well it's going to be a difficult game. Um and you know Villa are obviously going to have to show a reaction from their weekend result. I do think that it's it's as you say, Dan, um a team that they'll quite look forward to playing against. Watkins has caused Arsenal a few problems in in the last two games. Three goals in two games. He's a player that really likes playing against Arsenal's defence. When you look at how Arsenal's defence has changed. I think that may be a benefit for Mikel Arteta. Um, first three games of the season wasn't really a convincing <laughs> convincing um, defensive unit. You had Pablo Mari in there, um, Rob Holden at times, Said Kalasinac even started at, Aston, uh, at Manchester City, sorry. Whereas now he's settled on Ramsdale and goal, Tommy Yasu at right back, who's more of a, a defensive right back than you probably used to see and don't expect him to be bombing down the, the touchline. Um, you've got Ben White and Gabriel as the two centre-backs and Kieran Tierney at left-back. So he's settled on that now. So hopefully that means there's a bit more cohesion in the way they deal with players. Um, I think at Villa Park um, last season... It was Cedric playing at left back in a, a very, very um, mm. weak back pass that led to uh, Watkins' goal. So hopefully those individual errors are out of the, the back four or back five, including um, Ramsdale. And I think, especially <laughs> considering Ollie Watkins grew up an Arsenal fan, um, I, I wouldn't want to... I just don't want him to have any more joy at the Emirates for now, uh, unless he's in red and white sometime soon. That won't be happening anytime soon, Art. Don't you worry. <laughs> Good to hear, Greg. Because I was going to say there has been a few murmurs knocking around <laughs> about that at the moment. But we don't do transfer gossip on the Athletics, so we won't entertain that at all. The next segment here is top three Gunner villains. Now, I think two are absolute no-brainers in Martinez and Paul Merson. I'm struggling for a third. So if anyone wants to interject, Henry Lansbury, give me, give me a third. <laughs> Henry Lansbury, Philip Senderos. I don't know who you who you would have as, as, as the third. David Platt, I guess, would 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 be the third one. He didn't do much at Arsenal, but you know he's a, a hero at Aston Villa. I, can't, I, I didn't really nail down a, th- a third person. So if anyone wants to suggest a serious suggestion, Greg, then that'd be great. Um, I think he probably would have to be Platt. I'm struggling. Yeah, I think we'd have to go with Platt just because of how good he was for Villa. Uh, yeah, you're not going to be putting Philip Senderos in over David Platt. There can't be too many, can there? There can't be too many more. Yeah. We'll throw it over to the listeners. No. Listeners, if there's any yeah. if there's any good ones that we've missed, tweet us. Yeah. Embarrass us. Please do. And this, this next segment that's been put in by the producer, <laughs> why does Dan hate Arsenal? Is it jealousy? Look, I, I think no, this, I does, this, this does need to be addressed, Dan, because you clearly don't like really? Arsenal. Really? 
No, no, it's not that I don't know. You know, you know what it is. I mean, I do obviously do other podcasts for Athletic, and I do tend to get a bit of stick on social media from Arsenal fans for some of the things I said about them. But at the start of the season, they were rubbish, and the majority, and a lot of last season, they were rubbish. So I think what I've said was fair. I think the thing is for me is that I used to really, really like Arsenal Wenger as manager. David Dean was there. The Invincibles. I have so much respect for them and the and the way they operate. And I just think nowadays, which isn't the fans' fault. I just don't really have much respect for, for, for the way they operate, and, and and that's what it comes down to. I used to associate them with being this really, really classy club, and I just I don't get that fe- feeling anymore. I'm, I'm a being unfair, Art. That's brutal. Mm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to be. No, I, I, I wouldn't say 100% unfair, because even within the fan base itself, there is, I guess a bit of conflict in terms of how Arsenal go about their business. Um, Not even just transfer related, but as we all probably saw around the Super League as well, um, in terms of ownership, their decision-making, there is still that a large portion of the fan base that isn't totally uh, in love with the club, I'd say. Um, And a lot of people do feel that they left their soul at Highbury. Um, so I'm not sure if that's something you guys have heard. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say what you're saying is totally unfair, Dan. Um, and I, I just think when, I guess, when, when the reality hits Arsenal fans, they probably get a bit defensive. Um, but I wouldn't expect any less from any fan, really. It's their club, so they're going to defend their club. Um but yeah, there, there, there is definitely a sense of, I guess, they're not where they want to be at the minute no. and there needs to be improvement. Um, and again, similar theme <laughs> that I discussed earlier, there is probably a bit of frustration that they are so far off the pace from where they were even five years ago where on the final day they beat Aston Villa 4-0 and finished second in the Premier League. And Aston Villa are relegated. Um. Oh, wow. You can't mention that oh, here. Wow. You can't mention that here. Goodness me. You, sa- you saved the worst till last, You've been holding on to that. <laughs> Surely it's because they're still classed as a big six. Like, I don't know if anyone else feels the same, and I'm probably going to have a lot of people coming after me on Twitter, but the big six phrase kind of annoys me at this point. There's so many other teams that are competing and pushing and, and challenging those those big six. And I just think at the moment, do you base that big six on financial or performance? Because if it's performance, Spurs and Arsenal definitely don't deserve to be in there. So maybe that's why a lot of other fans who are who support other Premier League clubs are like frustrated almost at you know the kind of hierarchy that is given to Arsenal and Spurs. I don't know if anyone else is the same way, but in my mind, Arsenal and Spurs are not big six at the moment. I've remembered what I said that got that got the Arsenal fans on my back at the start of the season. I said that Arsenal were more likely to finish bottom six than top six. <laughs> I still don't think I still don't think Arsenal will will finish top six. I, I I just don't think don't think that they will. Do do you share that? If they don't finish top six, would Arteta be in trouble? So that's the question a lot of fans probably were asking themselves after the Palace game. Um, what makes it quite strange a strange situation is how much faith um the hierarchy have in him so if the i think personally looking at it the time that was probably most challenging for him was last 
November, December, where he didn't win the game from November 1st to Boxing Day. But the hierarchy didn't flinch. <laughs> they they kept they kept him in. And I think um, when when you look at the objective for this season, it would have been Europe as um, the bare minimum, I'd say. But now that means because of how poorly they started the season, because of that Palace result, every game, every single game is a must-win game, um, which probably brings unwanted pressure, I'd say, um, because especially with fans back in the stadium now, you can almost feel the anxiety come in around the hour mark if Arsenal aren't winning. Um, and when, um, even when they're goal up, you feel like they're still a little bit vulnerable. You need at least two a two-goal lead um, to feel properly comfortable. And then in terms of the big six stuff... Um, don't mention two-goal that... leads, Art. <laughs> no, we don't that sorry, that sorry. Too soon. Too soon, too soon. But yeah, in terms of the, the big six stuff, that feels almost not like a fabrication, but just it was the tagline um, almost the TV companies went with when Tottenham kind of entered into that, I guess, conversation of Europe. I don't really think it's as relevant now because especially with Leicester finishing in Europe for, I think, two seasons running now, West Ham getting in their last season. I don't think that's really a relevant um, kind of, I don't know, tagline um, for those places. You're either in Europe or you're not now. Um, and Arsenal haven't aren't in Europe this season, so... They can't really complain. Before we let you go, Art, let's get some predictions. So first, we'll, actually, we'll say, we'll say a view for last start. Greg? Uh, I think it would be a draw. Draw? Going to give me a score? No? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Hello? Oh, I'm going to be optimistic and go 1-0. One, 1-0 nil. One, nil to Villa. Clean sheet. I'm going to go 2-1 to Villa. Villa have, Villa have liked the Emirates recently. I, I do fancy us. Ars, I presume you're not going to come on and predict a Villa win. <laughs> no, I, I feel similar to Greg. I think it'd be a one-all. Um, I, I think Arsenal will score, but um, again, I just don't, I don't trust them to hold a lead at the minute. Um, so I think yeah, one-one is probably going to be a fair result. There we go. Four predictions there. So we can guarantee that the only thing that wasn't predicted was a Villa defeat. So we can now guarantee that Villa will lose on <laughs> Friday night. Art, thanks ever so much for joining us on 1874. Been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Right, then we are unfortunately running out of time this week. The Arsenal baiting went on a little bit longer than it should have done, but we did ask for some listener questions. So Greg has answered some on social media and will continue to do so, but we liked this question from Christopher Franklin, so we'll shoehorn it in quickly. Greg, he asks, what are Villa doing in order to close the gap on other clubs commercially? Uh, yeah, I think it's a really good question. Uh, I know Ian and Ian and Sean also asked a couple of questions that I responded to on Twitter. I'll, I'll get back to you guys uh, on Twitter. We just haven't quite had time today uh, to fit those in. But yeah, uh, commercially, I think Villa are looking short. Villa are trying to look at every area and see how they can maximise it. Um, it will be a case of working with more lucrative partners. Um, you know, the Kazoo deal was record breaking for Villa. Kappa's obviously a very well-established brand um, and, and again, lucrative for Villa. And, and then there's the the OB Sports uh, betting 
connection. Now, I don't know too much about that Asian company, but it will be benefiting the club financially, of course. Um, there are lots of other smaller partners too, which you know will build up and, and, and add to the bigger picture. Uh, I think in reality, it's going to take a very long time for Villa to catch up with the likes of United, City, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, just because Villa do need that European football. They need to be in the Champions League to be competing commercially with, with the other guys that I've mentioned there. So, for Villa, it's about creating a, a slightly longer-term plan um, and thinking ahead. I think the fact that they've got like the Foo Fighters coming to Villa Park for a stadium next year will help. Loves a bit of Foo Fighters, great. Lo- love Loves a bit of Foo, Foo Fighters, love Park. it. Um, I've, I've always thought that with, with such a fantastic stadium, you know, especially in the Midlands, that Villa need to maximise the use of that um, and make it a money-spinning stadium, you know, not just on a match day. So that's something they'll be looking at. And, and I think, you know, the guys that are in charge there, Nicola Robertson, he's very highly thought of. And obviously, Christian Perslow has worked as the Chief Commercial Officer for Chelsea. So he knows all about attracting better sponsors and, and partners and, and taking the club forward commercially. Yeah, I've heard some murmurs on Villa's kit make for next season. So I have to speak to you off podcast, Greg, and get, and get that firmed up, see if, see if you've heard anything. Just quickly then, Ian's question about can Villa make the youth system a money spinner lot like Chelsea have? So even if players aren't coming through, you can still sell players on for, for, for a profit, which obviously also helps with financial fair play. That's something Chelsea have done really well. Is that an ambition of Villa's? 100%. They, they want to be self-sustainable, you know, as, as, as self-sustainable as they can be. There's absolutely no way that Villa can keep signing all these players at 15, 16, 17 years old and they all, and they all make it. They all play for Villa's first team. It's, it's just simply not going to happen. Yet, if they can sell on a couple of those players for millions of pounds, then it makes good business sense. And it's what other clubs do. Well, as you say, Chelsea, um, it will help with financial fair play because it's 100% profit. Um, and it will help to bring other players to the club in the future because... Villa can then say, well, this, this and this player has made it into the first team. This, this and this player now plays in the Championship or another Premier League club. Um, and the books will start to look a lot better. Because they've spent too much, Villa, let's be honest. They've spent a lot of money. Well, that's the wrong statement. They haven't spent too much. They've spent a lot of money and haven't got much back yet other than the Jack Grealish sale. So there's going to be cut, there's going to come a point where they have to get money back into the club because... The, the owners, as rich and wealthy as, as they are, won't want to continue spending like that every single year. No, that, that, that makes sense. You do need to make some money at some point, Greg. So thanks ever so much for answering those questions. That's it for today. So thanks to Art and, of course, thanks to Greg and Holly as well. Most of all, thanks to you guys for listening and thanks for all your questions. We'll try and incorporate more into future podcasts. Slightly overrunning, so we'll depart now. Until next time, up the villa. Athletic.